Hello, I'm Jade Sterling. I just wanted to let you know that the Vital Foods Insights podcast has a new home. So if you want news, market trends and expert opinion from the natural products industry in Europe and Asia, or perhaps you just miss my charming British accent, search for the Vital Foods Insights podcast on Apple Podcasts or visit us at vitalfoodsinsights.com. You are listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast with Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. Turmeric and Boswellia, they're, they're Batman and Robin of herbs. They're both good together, but together they're a powerhouse. But anyway, so millennials obviously want to see disruption in, in all categories, and we are seeing a lot of that. There's lots of talk about millennials. Brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandy. I am happy to be sitting in the Informa offices in Phoenix with Lauren Israelson. He is president of the United Natural Products Alliance, or UNPA. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Sandy. I'm so happy that Lauren could join us. He came and did an expert talk with uh, the Informa staff here today and entertained us for about an hour talking all things in the industry and what's happening and really giving us a good education. So we appreciate that. Uh, and I thought I'd take the opportunity to get him on a podcast to talk about China. So, Lauren, you've been traveling to China quite a bit recently. Um, why, why the focus on China? Why is it so important to UNPA and to the industry? China's always been important to the industry, but we think of it from the supply side. China's emerging as the biggest natural health product consumer market and is the biggest today. Uh, 400 million people who have disposable income, very interested and very keen for made in USA products specifically, but a lot of Western natural health products. We bring a lot of the trends, a lot of the new news and information. So we're clearly seeing the interest of building the China Bridge, which is to strengthen the supply side coming from China to the U.S. We're also seeing a different group of Chinese companies that are the brand holders in China themselves that now want to introduce themselves to the U.S. consumer. It's new to them, and they need a lot of advice, a lot of help, how to do that. And many of our companies, both in Utah and throughout our industry, are very interested to be in the Chinese market. Easier said than done. So a lot of groundwork has to be laid. So my trips back and forth to China have been both on the supply side, regulation, quality management, and also to see how we can help uh, begin to lay out a bridge that will allow this traffic to cross on the consumer branded product side. So let's talk about those consumers and the Chinese consumers. You said, did you say 400 million? 400 million. Wow, that's that's a lot. And um, I think you've recently quoted some um, studies that have shown that Chinese consumers are interests, um, but American brands might have difficulty regulating the 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 regulations mm. of uh, navigating the regulations of China. So, what? What are like the basics there, and where can American brands go for help if they're trying to get their products into Chinese consumers' hands? Yes, this is the big question. Uh, if you look at the range of products coming from the U.S., uh, it's everything from ingredients. Uh, so we're actually going back to China with novel ingredients. And we have to look at different sectors. 
So if it's a professional brand, if it's a retail health food store brand, or uh, whatever market they're in, direct selling, uh, which has been in China for a long time, it's a huge market in the direct selling sector, is navigating the regulations is really complicated. And anyone who's tried can confirm that. First questions are, what are you? Are you a food? And some delivery forms are much easier to register in China. There's a, there's a multi-tiered system. One thing we've learned early on is that uh, there are many who say that they can help provide that kind of technical advice. Turns out there are really a limited group of experts. We're trying to identify who to work with in China just to get the right advice. We're not going to pretend to be the experts. But we want to be very good at putting people in the right hands, whether it's working directly with the government on a national level, provincial level, and trying to figure out which channel of trade. In China, it's moving so quickly to e-commerce. Companies that even a year ago thought, well, we'll go and uh, get into 10, 15, 20,000 pharmacies in China, wondering, is that the right thing to do today? Maybe we just go straight to cross-border commerce set up a shop in Singapore and Hong Kong, and then you just directly import into China, much more as you would see with an Amazon delivery style. Alibaba, which many people know is, uh, uh, is bigger than Amazon. Wow. And uh, if you just look at the power of their e-commerce platforms and how convenient and fast and easy it is, it's astonishing. We think it's fast here. It is much faster and much more robust in China. Wow. So let's talk about the other side, the uh, getting ingredients supplied from China for the con- Amer- that go into the American market. Um, a lot of the the ingredients and components that we use in American supplements are from China. So what what's the situation like there? Or there's this perception that these ingredients might not be of quality among American consumers. Is that perception true? Well, as a historical look back, you can see what happened is that as China became such a dominant supplier to our U.S. market, is that free market forces were at work, and it's what willing buyers and sellers are willing to pay. And what I have learned, as, as others who have been spent time in China, is that they can produce at the world's highest standards. That's not the issue. It's what's the right price for the right quality. And we're trying to reset that standard so that the primary manufacturers in China, of which there are many that are unknown to us, is that we can begin to introduce the primary manufacturer to the contract manufacturer or the producer here. And now there are layers of distribution in between that, and that's one of the questions, is that we have new laws in the U.S. that require conformance to new food safety standards, and that applies to the world. So we're Uh, urgently trying to explain to our Chinese colleagues what these new standards and rules are that we too are implementing. Mm. So that's goal one, is we're trying to find that harmonized quality standard. Once we have that, now we can really go to work and see who is able and willing to meet these new standards, which requires retraining of your staff. In some cases, physical changes to facilities will be necessary. But a lot of it is a mindset, and we'd like to elevate the standard on both sides so that China really says, this is what you're asking for, this is a new higher standard, great. That's what we're going to do on both sides. It'll be hard um, changing these large um, forces in the marketplace are not easy to change. And so it's going to take a lot of work. And when you talk about a harmonization of quality standards, like who exactly are the players that are 
being harmonized? I mean, is this just a an industry wide acceptance, or is this? Are you thinking regulations? We'll start with regulations. Okay. Uh, so we just, what are the rules? Mm-hmm. And once we understand that you need new procedures, new trainings, new systems that are based on our modern understanding of how do you develop a risk assessment approach as opposed to you, the problem happens and then somewhere down the chain you try and figure out where it happened and how it happened and then reverse it all. Uh, what we learned through the Food Safety Modernization Act is to think about building food products as you would put a rocket into space. Think about what can go wrong in advance. You can't fix it once it's off the launch, right. launch pad. You've right. got to fix it on the ground. And that's the concept here. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, players involved. So there are governments. Uh, we have FDA, the US FDA, China FDA. Uh, then we have a number of other ministries in China that are going to be involved in this process. And then you have these quasi-governmental organizations in China, uh, far more than we see here. Well, here we have much more of a business-driven trade association community and business community. And in China, it's still very much a central state-controlled economy. So talking to the right people in the government is essential because they're the ones that will really say, okay, we're going to change. Now we need to get the analytical laboratories to really harmonize and work out their methods and their standards. The third-party certifiers are a key part of this. Then you have the purchasing buyers in the U.S. and you have the sellers from China. And in the middle of all that, you have a lot of language problems. And as we see, it's (laughs) hard enough to understand each other here. And uh, it's really important to begin to kind of understand the flow of communication Things can mean different things in China where you think it's agreed and understood, maybe not. So it takes a few hard bumps to uh, align these things and just to begin to get all of these different communities agreed to what the general goals and principles are. And there's a lot of people working on this and it will take a lot of people. Right. Well, let's talk about some of the people that UNPA is specifically working with. What is the China Nutrition Health Food Association, and what is UNPA's Memorandum of Understanding with that group entail? Uh, This is CNHFA. This is a fairly new group in China, and uh, part of their task is is government-driven. And their job is to provide education and training to uh, a large group, not just of Chinese companies, but major players in Europe and the United States and elsewhere. Uh, We were introduced to them a couple of years ago, and we spent some time, and we've worked out an MOU, which is uh, the process we use a lot to build our working relationships, Uh, and they do as well. So we're working with CNHFA, and that will be involving training, education. Uh, They have a great number of contacts. So the people that are staffing uh, CNHFA are former China FDA uh, senior officials. We're also developing relationships with several other groups in China of a similar nature, but they provide different distinct services. So what we've seen is that the landscape in China is so large that it's probably not possible to work with just one group. It's Mm. to find the community of groups that collectively can bring the kind of knowledge and expertise uh, to the table. And from what you've seen, are these groups within China working well together with each other, or is it like every group is a new completely new landscape. We have seen a real competitive nature between them. And it's true here. It's it's true. It's true in China. I guess that's human nature. It's human nature. And so they they all, many of them really do understand this new evolving world. Um, And they're focused principally on on the Chinese consumer. That because of their... um, 
I would say indirect contact to the West. You have to remember in China is that a lot of our information sources are blocked to go into China. So there's no Google, there's no Gmail. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of the, the normal um, information resources that are just not there. So that's been a fundamental issue in China is how do you communicate the flow of information where we would just jump online and do a quick search, we'd find it. Mm -hmm. um, you can't always do that in China. Often cases you can't. We're trying to figure out where the gaps are, where we, there's a lot of assumed knowledge. We think they would know something. But then you stop and think about how would they know that? Where would they go find that? A lot of really important documents are not translated into English or into Mandarin. That's another problem. Beginning with the actual training materials for FISMA. Mm. They're not yet published in uh, Mandarin. So that's a limitation that we're hoping uh, FDA has, has it's been working on with other organizations. So we, we can't really see a globalized economy until we have figured out how to just to talk to each other. Right, right. Well, let's talk about a different partnership. What what, do you, what does UNPA have going on with Asia-Sudical New Insights? Asia-Sudical Insights. Asia-Sudical Insights, there AI, go. yes. And this is a joint publication uh, that is a venture with Urbridge Media in China. And they've been producing several publications for a number of years, but they've never had a, a Western um, half of their publication. So what we've done is we've combined forces and they're producing uh, one half of the magazine. It's a quarterly publication about news from China. So it'd be very much as we would see a NBJ, for example. Mm -hmm. And we're now providing content for the U.S. half of this. And it'll be a report which really focuses on the U.S. market, on regulations, on trends, on data and statistics, and we'll bring these two halves together. So the publication is actually two different publications bound together. Our objective is we want the American reader in our industry to have news from China, which is really difficult to get. Mm -hmm. And for the, the Chinese executive in our industry, who's our peer group, to be reading information about our side. So our objective is to really begin to bring this, the senior executive core of both sides into a common publication. Uh, it's so far so good. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, we're learning as we go. Uh, but it's been quite an exciting process, and we're really happy working with our partners there. Uh, Gloria Zhang, who is the founder and president of Verbridge Media, is really quite a fun, dynamic person to work with. And so we didn't imagine we would be in the quasi-publishing business, but clearly that has turned out to be an important uh, part of the puzzle, is just how to provide regular news and information that's been vetted and try to publish it at a high standard. Are any of these available now? We just put our uh, Q1 issue online okay. as of yesterday. Oh, wow. So we'll Breaking happily news. share the links. Yes. And uh, we're really pretty proud of it. It looks really good. Uh, it's very professionally produced. Frank Lampy on our staff, who is a, a longtime New Hope staff member, who has mm -hmm. a long, long background in publishing in our industry, is leading the team on this one. And we have a number of people on both sides. So there's probably about 15 people working on this between the two sides. Excellent. Well, we will certainly be watching it and looking for the other editions as they as they come out. Every quarter. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about China, Lauren. My pleasure, Sandy. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, 
leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th in Secaucus, New Jersey.